we're going to tackle the hottest topic in Christianity, the gifts of the Spirit, today in the Weekly Kingdom Outlook. Well, let's get into it. Well, greetings, folks. Apostle Lewis here with you, and we're going to talk about one of the most um, um, controversial topics in Christianity today. And, you, you know, we have this wide split. It's almost as wide as, you know, pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib, all that stuff. And, you know, God's judgment. There's really hot topics in Christianity, and I'm going to go after one of the ones I'm very passionate about, and that's the gifts of the Spirit. Now, I'm going to do something I normally don't do, and that is that I'm going to stop this many times through here when I'm changing topics so I can keep each topic precise uh, for you, and and so I can just kind of take my time going through this. I Normally, I don't do that. Normally, it's one shot. I go all the way through. I'm done. Mistakes and all, and I don't do clips and all that stuff, but we're gonna, we might uh, stop it and start again. Uh, on a new topic. We're, we're going to stay in the framework work. I want to answer some questions. Are the gifts of the Spirit for today? If they are for today, how do we receive them? If, if we receive them, how does sin play in and disrupt the gifts of the Spirit? And can they? And why is holiness important? And, and and relationship important in relating to the gifts. So those are just a few main topics I want to cover. And so I want to address the first one. Are the gifts of the Spirit today? Now you have you have a lot of, um, there's a lot of Christians out there. And some of you are going to watch this and you're going to be angry with me. And I, all I ask that you do is that you listen. Open up your Bibles and listen. If you make snotty remarks, I have a guy. And he removes you. So I, I don't mind questions. I don't mind, you know, asking a question hunger. But go make your own video if you want to be rude and stuff like that. That's just no place for it here. Not that you can disagree. You have the right to disagree with me. But you also have the obligation to be respectful. And if you're not respectful, if you're rude, if you start attacking people, then we just remove you. And that's that. So just so you know, that's our policy. I'm not a troll on, on social media. I don't comment on everyone's stuff. I, I don't believe in that. I believe, you know, people have the right to believe what they believe. I'm not going to preach against anyone. Matter of fact, I see value in even the other sides. I think one of the other side, let's say the side who believes in, you know, doesn't believe the gifts are today, but they're high, high value in character. While we need that in the body of Christ, we need high-level, Christ-like nature, godly nature in our conduct. We just need that. We need it in our marriages. We need it in our families. We need it in our relationships. We certainly need it in the pulpit. So I have so much value for apologetics, and I love apologetics. I watch a lot of their videos because I'm just amazed at how they articulate stuff. And they really have thought-out answers, and I'm really amazed by their diligence and their wisdom in some of those areas. So I have a value for Christians I might not agree with 100%. Um, I, you don't have to, even my leaders, I, you know, I have this thing with my leaders that you're allowed to disagree. You're just not allowed to disconnect. 
And so you might have a different viewpoint. And my job as a leader is not to devalue them or their viewpoint, but learn from it, hear from it. And I've listened to the arguments. I heard an argument the other day that the gentleman said, this is a well-known gentleman, said, I see the argument for tongues in the Bible. I just, what I see in the Bible, I don't see those kind of tongues. And what he's referring to is in Acts chapter 2. So before we get there, we're going to address that. But here, here's one of our issues is that I don't see the parting of waters anywhere in my lifetime, but I know it's true. And I know God could still do it, right? I still know that God can do it. We're going to address these issues of are the gifts, are is the spirit for today, are the gifts of the spirit for today, um, and how they function and stuff like that all through this video. So, hey, while we're getting started, why don't you give the video a, a, a like, a subscribe to the channel, whether you're watching me on The Gate or Louis D. Siena, this goes on both of them. Uh, we're on YouTube, we're on Facebook, we're on all those things. So whatever you're watching now, why don't you subscribe to The Gate Facebook the Gate YouTube, Louis D. Siena YouTube, and uh, Facebook. And I'm also on Rumble and at Louis D. Siena Ministry. So you can find me on all of those. All right. So let's deal with the first one. <clears throat> are, are the gifts of the Spirit for today? Well, to answer that, we would have to answer a greater question than that. And before we can determine if the gifts of the Spirit are for today, we have to determine if the baptism or the filling of the Spirit is for today. Was that something that just happened to the first century church? Was that something that just happened to the 12 apostles? I often hear that, well, that was for the 12 apostles and, and they did miracles. So we're going we're gonna to talk about some of the things, but we have to answer this question. Why... Why is it important for us to understand that the filling baptism of the Spirit is for today? So let's address that issue, and let's look at Scripture. And now you can read all of Acts 2. I don't want to take you all the way through that, okay? So I want you to understand, though, that, listen, I want you to understand that you're allowed to disagree, but I hope that you will just open up your heart and, and listen with your spirit, listen with your spiritual ears, see with your spiritual eyes, and see what the Spirit is saying to the churches, okay? It says this, we're going to go Acts 2.36, I'm going to read out the New King James. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord, King, and Christ, Messiah. He is both the King and Messiah. This is important because I could deal with covenants and why there was, you know, some people believe there was two tablets. There was actually two tablets with ten commandments written on both, front and back. People don't understand that. And the reason is there's two witnesses. All right, and I'll get into that in covenant someday with you of why that was done in covenant when when you dominated a nation, that's what the nation had these two witnesses. And I'll, I'll talk about that some other time. That gets into deep covenant understanding. But people think it was just written on front side. You know, you see the Ten Commandments with Charles Heston just written on the front. That's not true. It actually says in the scriptures written on front and back. It's like it's like the, the things that we think are true, like um, they came on the ark two by two, except 
all the clean animals, he had seven pairs. So there was 14 of the clean, and there was only two of the unclean animals. That amazing, okay? And so uh, understand that, okay? Understand that. Uh, and <clears throat> we can get into why that is and all that in another time. I'm just saying, like, sometimes our perception isn't really based in Scripture. It's based in what we've been taught. And so that's why I'm only going to use Scripture. Now, I'll give testimony through here of my life's journey, but I'm always going to refer to Scripture because that's what brought me to it. So let me just give you a quick testimony of my life. Uh, I grew up Catholic, never read the Bible. All growing up, we never read the Bible. Uh, they read it from the pulpit. They'd have a reading from you know one of the Gospels or a reading from the letter of uh, the epistles or something like that. But we were never encouraged to read the Word. We were never encouraged to have a relationship with Jesus. Okay, none of that was encouraged. And when I was uh, looking for God for about, you know, five, six years of my life, maybe longer, and I'm really struggling looking for God, who God is, <clears throat> my wonderful brother, my older, my oldest brother, gave me a Bible. And I don't even know if I still have that one. <laughs> I don't think I do. That one might not, it might be packed up somewhere. I think I have it in storage. But it was just a red he had got it in um, uh, in his prayer group. They had like a raffle, and and he had won, and he gave it to me. And what was interesting, he gave it to me right after I had had a wild night. A couple of days later, he gave it to me. He said, "Hey, I want to give you this Bible." And I was looking. I, I wasn't looking for. Listen, I wasn't looking for God and sex. Uh, I was looking for God. Now I was having illicit sex before marriage, but a fornication, but I wasn't looking for God in the sex. I was probably looking for um, other things, but I wasn't looking for God. I didn't think God was in the sex. So I didn't have that disillusion. But I sat there and started reading the Bible. And this is 1987, January. And I read the Bible all the way through. Now, it's interesting as I meet my beautiful wife, January 21st, 1987. And um, we got married January 23rd, 1988. So it's been 35 years we've been married. We've been together 36. Um, but I'm reading the Bible all the way through. Now, my wife's a backslidden Christian. And she doesn't really want to marry a preacher because she grew up in the church and the church was the most brutal place she had been in a way. You know, they're mean, they're fighting, they're, you know, backbiting each other. There's not a whole lot of love being displayed. Her father is just, you know, getting, every time there's a disagreement, it's the pastor's fault, you know, and stuff like that. It's really, you know, he's in the South Carolina, Georgia, small churches of the Southern Baptist. And and those, these are kind of family-run churches, and, and there's always an argument. And um, pastors are more hired than revered, you know. And my father-in-law, man... What a good, what a godly man, him and his, him, Martha, Larry and Martha, man. I just owe so much of my life in Christ to them being such great uh, in-laws. They treated me, you know, they became parents to me. I mean, um, but I'm looking and they, and I'm looking. So I read the whole Bible through in one year. 88 comes, we get married, but I'm still reading the Bible all the way through in 1988. And I go all the way through it. Now it's 1999. I finally get picked. I get out of the Navy in March of 88. And it's not until January of 89. 
I get picked up by the FAA as an air traffic controller, which is what I did in the Navy. And I had waited for this whole thing because this is what I was going to do. Um, um, so in this, I get kind of frustrated in my job. And a gentleman in 1989 asked me to go to an Amway meeting, if you believe it. It was a four-hour meeting. And I and I go in, and about two and a half hours in, this young, wild, surfer dude, multi-million Brighart, and some of you might have heard him Google him. Brig gets up, and he's all these other people are speaking. Brig's guy, kind of the guy doing the meeting. This is in the heyday, you know, in the late '80s of, of Amway. And Brig gets up, and he stops, and he just shares thirty seconds about Jesus. Says, "I know we're talking about money," he says, "but I really like to talk to you about Jesus." how he came from heaven to earth to heal our relationship with the Father so we can have peace on earth. And and I went like this. I I, I it was I came and tell you word for word what he said. It was only 30 seconds. I came and tell you word for word because it was like, you know, God used Brig in that moment to take what was being planted through reading of the word in my spirit to germinate, to finally pop open the outer shell and begin to germinate and grow. And this was in October and I, I, I would be off on Sunday, Mondays, and I would um, sit there, literally sit there in my, Kathy would go to work, and I'd, I'd sit in our apartment, and I didn't know what to do. Uh, as a Catholic, we don't have prayers. We don't have, um, we don't have prayers for salvation, you know, and there's not one in the Bible. But I knew, you know, Kathy and me had gone to different churches. Uh, when we were up in Connecticut, living with my, my mom, we went to a Methodist church, which I liked. I, I didn't care about whether I was that. We had decided two months into merit into our relationship that she was Baptist, I was Catholic. We didn't care; it was the same God. We were in pursuit. I was going to be in pursuit of that. Now it's really stunning that I said that when I hadn't given my life to Christ yet. But it's really stunning to that, you know. Um, you know, sometimes you say stuff even when you're lost. You say stuff. It's like Caiaphas saying something on the day that Jesus is being crucified. He said, better for one man to die than a whole nation. Not realizing it says that he was prophesying. Okay. And sometimes we say stuff and we don't realize um, that our spirit picked up on something or our soul picked up on something. And, and God is just making us declare things, you know. And, and so... Um, I finally, on a Monday morning, December 4th, 1989, got up and I said, well, you know, we're going to this Baptist church. Someone has got to know this Jesus. Now, what's so funny is I'm there every Sunday with her and they're doing altar calls. It's amazing how, you know, this is, this is point number one. You can't come to Jesus unless he calls your name. I, I tell this to people, whether you get saved at 100,000 or whether you get saved one-on-one, -on -one, the Father must declare your name because it says the Father, no one knows the Son except whom the Father reveals him to. And this was my moment. And I got up from the couch and I went to this church and I knocked on their office glass and I said, this Jesus, how do you get him? And Russ Cochran, who was the uh, uh, assistant, you know, assistant pastor, big church, 5,000 people. Dr. Harold Hunter's Baptist Church. Dr. Harold Hunter was on vacation. He takes me into Dr. Harold's office and he opens up this beautiful book to me and starts sharing to me why I'm a sinner and that I need a savior.
and we pray the prayer of salvation. He tells me, look, on Wednesday night, Wednesday night service, I want you to come half an hour. I want you to be baptized in water. You need to be baptized in water for the obedience. Now, I have come to a whole better revelation of baptism than just obedience because Paul says when we're baptized, we're, we're baptized in the likeness of his death and we come out of the water in the likeness of his resurrected life. So, um, you know, that's important to me, you know. I, I didn't know that then, but he also says this one thing to me. He said, this is God's word. It is truth. Read it every day. It is it is truth. It's God's word. And I went, you know, that kind of like, okay. No one ever told me that, by the way. No one ever, my brother doesn't, didn't necessarily say that to me. My dad once said to me, you know, as a Catholic, he goes, I don't really, we don't put a lot of stock in the Bible, but your brother does, but you really do. Like you really believe it. I, and I said to him, you know, this is before my dad, my dad eventually gave his life to Christ, called me his pastor his last seven years of his life. And he would call and ask me biblical questions and stuff and ask actually for counsel of things, which was very humbling because uh, my dad was a hero of mine. Even though my dad blew up his marriage, you know, my dad, you know, I, I never, never, never value something at their lowest point. You know, value them who they are in God. And, you know, because people stumble. It's not an excuse, but we all need mercy. So have mercy. That's my attitude. Like we all needed mercy. We all get mercy new every day. And so be very merciful all the time is kind of my attitude with that. And so uh, my father, uh, so I, I started reading the word. I went home and, and you know, folks, I you know, you know this. When you give your life to Jesus, it's like a whole weight's off you. You know, and look, I was, some of you, man, you were a lot better than me. I was like Paul. I was a chief sinner. Okay. I was really good at sin. I didn't go to Christ. Um, I wasn't looking for forgiveness. I was looking for change. I didn't like who I had become. And that's the God's honest truth. I didn't, I didn't like who I'd become. And I know that I needed that change. And so... You know, by the grace of God and the love of God, um, man, he he got a hold of me. And I remember my my beautiful wife coming home and her and me telling her, and her looking like, oh, well, this is interesting, you know. And she told our friends, and you know, and they were all happy because they were all Christians. And because we didn't really, when I got married, folks, I didn't hang out in the bars. I got, uh, I didn't have guys night out. I didn't have. I wanted to be with my wife, still who I love to be with more than anything in the world other than Jesus. You know, I love being with my wife. I don't need to have parties. I, I don't need to have guys. I never needed that in 36 years since I met her. Like once I met her, that was over. There was no more guys night for me. You know, I didn't want to do that. I wanted to be with her 24 seven. And um, eight months into this, number one, she sees the transformation in my life and she then rededicates her life back to Christ because she had gone astray when she left high school for college and all that. And that's her story to tell. Um, so about three months into this, you remember they told me this is the word of God. It's true. And I get to this in Acts. And, I'm, and I've already read it like three times. This is now 1990. 
And you have to understand, I have now read the Bible all the way through 87, 88, 89. I'm doing it again in 1990. Okay, I do it for the, about the first 15 years. I read the Bible all the way through. I'm doing it again right now. I don't know. I think it's in my other room. I'm doing it right now in the RASB version. I've done it in about five, six, seven, eight, maybe 10 versions. And now I'm doing it in the RASB. And you go, why do you switch versions? Well, I see things I didn't see before because they worded it differently. And I just want my eyes to be, you know, and it makes it fresh. It makes it like, okay, I got to read every word because, um, you know, your memory starts memorizing certain scriptures and you're not reading them all the way through like, you, like it really is helpful. That's why I'm not a good editor. Like I can't edit my own stuff because I've already spoken it. All right. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know, surely that God made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Now, now remember, I'm not talking about the tongues yet. They got filled with the Holy Spirit in the upper room. No one's going to dispute that. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. The crowd hears them. That's, that's 5 through 13. And then... Peter gets up and gives defense scripturally for what's going on, but I want you to hear what he says here. All right. He says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to, uh, and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent. What do they have to repent for? Rejecting Jesus as Lord. It's not repenting for your adultery or fornication. Repent for the big one. I did not, re I, I rejected the Messiah. I rejected the Christ. Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise, what's the promise? The promise is the Holy Spirit. God in you, Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is the promise that God no longer dwells in buildings, but dwells in us. Repent, be baptized in water for the remission of sins. The old man goes down, the sins go down. You come up in newness of life. Paul explains that, Romans 5, 6. Go read it, okay? This isn't a message about baptism of water. Okay, so go read it. And then he says this. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all, say all, who are afar off. By the way, Paul uses this expression when he says, the Jews were near, but those of us who were afar off has brought us close together. I think it's uh, Colossians uh, 2 that he says this in. Okay, and so you have to understand those who are near, which were the Jews, and those who are far off, listen, are far off as many as the Lord our God will call. So who's the promise to? Everyone the Father calls. Everyone. The gift of Holy Spirit is for everyone of whom the Father called. How do you know Father called you? Because he revealed Jesus to you. Now, it doesn't mean you believed. We're going to get into that later on. But but he, here's what you have to understand. That 
the opportunity to hear the name of Jesus is the first level of grace that the Father has showed me that I can see. I heard his name. Might not have understood it, but it's God's calling. All right? And, see, I don't have to know. I know it's God's will for you to be saved. All right. We're going to get to, we don't want to get off track here. We're going to stick with this. So we can see here that the declaration in Scripture is that what they received in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, he says that you will receive for, for the promise is to you and to your children. Now the promise is not salvation alone. The promise is the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent and be baptized, and you shall receive the Holy Spirit. So what I want to say right there, and stop right there in this part, and say this. We can see that the Holy Spirit is for everyone who believes and is baptized. That's what it says. Believe and be baptized, and this gift is for you. Well, that was kind of a long one. Well, now if the Holy Spirit is for us, the next argument we're going to have is, well, are the gifts of the Spirit? Like, what should we expect or can we expect something in the baptism of the Spirit? Well, when I read that, I realized I didn't have that. I had not been filled with the Holy Spirit yet. I don't believe you're automatically filled. And I'm going to show that in Scripture. But I don't believe you're automatically filled. Okay? Some people do. I don't, I, those, can, those arguments I don't care about, to be honest with you. I'm just going to tell you, you can believe that when someone is baptized, they're automatically filled. You can't. I'm going to show you where the apostles didn't agree with you, and then you can take away what you want. You can make it two different events. I don't believe it is. You're not born again by the Holy Spirit in you. You're born again by the Word of God in you, which is life and spirit, and you putting faith in it. You're born by the incorruptible seed, the Word of God, that's found in 1 Peter chapter 1. Okay, now you hear the Word, you mix faith, it says in Hebrews 4, 2, with it, it causes that germ, that germicide, that, that uh, germination of the seed to pop open, and it leads to eternal life. Okay, all right. But, what should we expect? Should, should the, should, now we're going to get into tongues, all right? And we're going to get into the other gifts, but let's just get to tongues for right now. Is tongues for today? Well, if the Spirit is for today, what can we expect in the filling of the Spirit? Should we expect tongues? Should we expect the gifts of the Spirit? Why don't we? That's a really good question. Okay? Now, I want you to see a couple places in here that the apostles didn't believe you automatically receive the Spirit. This happens in Acts chapter 8. And this is when the persecution from Saul begins. Okay? That they start spreading out. They get out of Judea. And now they go down to Samaria. Remember, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. They haven't gone to the othermost parts yet. They just finally got out of Judea into Samaria. Okay? And, and that's where... That's where Peter goes. And Peter goes down there and says in Acts 8, 4 through 8, it says this. 
Therefore, those who were scattered whenever were preaching the word, then Peter went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes of the one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. Now, just for later argument, Philip is not an apostle. So those who sit there and say only apostles do miracles, Peter, I mean, um, Philip is not an apostle. Philip is an evangelist. We find that out later. They call him an evangelist. Philip the evangelist. And we're going to go into that later. Okay. I just want to see that Philip is not an apostle. This is not Philip, by the way, one of the apostles. Okay. They call him Philip the evangelist. Okay. This is one of the Philips you find in Acts chapter 6 that they bring seven uh, men and they pray for them. Okay. And one of them is Philip. Okay, that's that Philip in Acts chapter 6. I want you just to know that. All right. So now it says, And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying out loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. Now, Let's skip down. We got, you know, Simon the Saucer there. We're going to skip that. Let's go down to verse 14. Now when the apostles heard, who were in Jerusalem, heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who, when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. That's interesting. For as yet he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. And when Simon saw that through the laying out of hands, apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given, and he gets into error. But I want you to see, they were believed in Jesus. They were baptized in water into Jesus, but they had yet to receive the Holy Spirit. So, me seeing this, I'm going to give you one more instance of this. Acts chapter 19, verse 1, and it happened while Paulus was at Corinth, and Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus. And finding some disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, We have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, Into what then were you baptized? So they said, Into John's baptism. Then Peter said, or then Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. So what we see here is that there is, there is you can actually actually see the Holy Spirit falling on people, which is really interesting, right? Um, it's, it's a really interesting thing that took place. And, you know, I want to point out also that it says that when, um, that when Simon saw that through the laying on of hands of the apostles, the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money. No, how did he know? Listen, how did he know that something was given if there wasn't something happening? I believe they probably prophesied, prayed in tongues, fell over, whatever. <laughs> whatever it might have been. 
You know, people ask all the time, why do people fall over? I'm going to be honest with you. Some people just give courtesy drops. Okay? Some people, I, I ushered during Rodney's revival here in Jacksonville in 93. And, you know, we had courtesy drops. I'm not judging them. Some people, that's just their go-to, right? But there are people that came in there that knew nothing about charismania, knew nothing about Pentecostal mania. They knew nothing about it. Baptist preachers got fully filled and drunk on the Holy Spirit that couldn't walk. The most most um, um, sophisticated people couldn't couldn't stand. There was one guy named Tom. He was a CPA, and Tom was one of the elders at the church, and he was so put together. I mean, very put together. He was your you know normal CPA. Everything had to be in order and all this. Tom got so hit by the Holy Spirit that I used to have to help Tom get to the car every night. Like I would carry him to the car so his wife could drive him home. And if you said to to him, you know, be filled or drink, he'd fall over again. And this was 180 degrees away from what Tom normally acted like. And he wasn't faking. So I've seen Holy Spirit just wreck people's lives. And for some reason, by the way, that makes us very uncomfortable. I get it. Our flesh doesn't like that. Because we think um, we think holiness is sophistication. We think godly conduct is sophistication, and those are called manners. Which I believe in manners. I believe in conduct, but it doesn't mean it's holiness. Not that way. Okay. All right. So we see it in Acts nineteen. So now. We've established that the gifts or the Holy Spirit is for all people. Now, if the Holy Spirit is for all people, then the gifts have to still be active. Otherwise, what we're saying, look, by deduction, what we're saying, the gifts aren't for today. But there's nowhere in Scripture that says the gifts are for today or not for today. And I, I hear this argument, people. Now, here's the deal, and I want you to hear this. This is where I think some of the argument comes from. We can be word people, but we can be human understanding of word people. What do I mean by that? Well, that which we can't explain and comprehend, we can put away into a box as it's in the past, it's heresy, it's not for today, because we really don't understand it. Now, let me tell you what happened to me. I got born again in December, and I'm reading the book of Acts in May or in March, and I come to this point about the Holy Spirit, and I go, you know, that never happened to me when I believed. Like, I get to Acts 19, I go, nothing happened to me when I believed. Of course, I got baptized in a Baptist church. No one laid hands on me. So I called up to another church. It happened to be the church that Brig went to. And I called them up, and I said, this Holy Spirit, how do you get him? And I always tell this testimony all the time. The church says, hey, look, I have an elder. We have an elder here. He'd love to pray for you. Can I give him your number? I said, absolutely. And uh, he called me back. Name was John Rombach. He's with Jesus now. His kids are among us today. And I always give this testimony because John didn't say come to church during a meeting. John said, hey, look, I have the keys of the sanctuary. Why don't we meet there on a Thursday night? No one's there. And I can talk to you and I'll pray for you. I went, okay. That was my, my attitude was, okay, you know. Someone's going to pray for me? Okay. Was, by the way, it's really the first time this ever happened to me. Like someone was going to lay hands on me. And John met me. We sat right there in the lobby of this church on University Boulevard in Jacksonville. 
And John began to share with me just briefly about the Holy Spirit. He said, look, I'm going to lay hands on you and Holy Spirit is going gonna, is gonna to come upon you. And boy, he did. And I started praying in tongues. Now, it wasn't absence of my will. Some people think you're going to pray in tongues like the Holy Spirit's going to take control of you. Holy Spirit does never, 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 never takes control. We yield. He doesn't take control. We submit. In other words, he is not forceful on us. You get to co-labor with him, but if you don't want to, you won't. It's not like a, it's not like a demon possession where some people can't help what the demons want them to do. Jesus said this, those who wield control over you, it shall not be as so amongst you. Read Matthew chapter 20, verse 20 uh, to 25. That control is actually not the kingdom. God doesn't control everything. He's an authority over everything. But he's also given authority to men, so he lets them work out what they're doing with the consequence. If he was controlling everything, do you think there would still be sin? God is neither the author or the perpetuator of sin at all. He doesn't tempt people. Don't let it be said that anyone is tempted by God because he neither tempts nor can be tempted. It's not in his nature at all. All right? So I began to pray in tongues, pray in tongues. My wife is hearing me pray in tongues. She's Baptist girl. This is strange. But... She gets hungry. She goes to the church. They lay hands on her. She gets filled with the Holy Spirit. She, we tell her mom and dad. And her dad is like, got all the Baptist answers. The devil can use that. They're not for today. All this stuff. I said, Dad. I said, I, I said, Dad, you taught me this word. He goes, yeah. I said, it says in Luke that if we ask him for the Holy Spirit, he won't give us a fish. If I ask God for the Holy Spirit, he'll give me the Holy Spirit. I don't know why we struggle with that one. You know, I, I don't know why we struggle with uh, believing God when he says that if we ask for the Holy Spirit, somehow we're going to get something other than the Holy Spirit. I, I don't know why our lack of trust, maybe it's our earthly fathers and, and maybe, um, and I'll just read you this verse here. It's uh, Luke 11, um, verse 9 through 13. Let's just read this. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If then you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask of him? Now, unless God has stopped being our heavenly Father, has stopped being a good Father, and we are no longer the children of God, the Holy Spirit's for today. Okay? And we receive it by asking and receiving in faith. Don't be double-minded. You know, the book of the book of James says, don't be double-minded. Okay? Don't think you can ask and not ask. Like he says, have faith. I'm not going to get into that scripture. I'll get way off track here. Okay, so 
now we got the gifts of the Spirit. So I hope I proved my point. Now, look, I want you to comment if you disagree or if you have a question. Comment, and I might do a question later on about it. Like I might do a video just to answer your questions. So ask them. Remember the rules. You have to be respectful, not snarky, not attacking, all that. Because my I won't even see those comments, by the way. They'll literally get removed before I see them. And, you know, I have a guy. And my guy will let me know you asked a question and all that. And I'll be more than happy to answer for it. Now, I'm just a practical guy. I just read the word. And I, I would look up the concordance and I read books. I got books all around me in here. I've just read tons of books, you know, and uh, give myself my own education. I'm not a theologian. I'm not against theologians at all. But when a theologian tries to explain away God, then I'm against that thing that tries to explain away God. All right. All right. So now let's go to uh, 1 Corinthians 12. We start talking about the gifts of the Spirit. And I want to read this, believe it or not. I know some of you don't like this translation. Well, I'll read it out. Well, I'm going to read it anyways. <laughs> I know some people don't like the Passion Translation. But you can read it out of the Amplified as well. It will also make the point. But the reason I want to read it out of here is because um, I think in this translation, it breaks down the Hebrew Greek really well, so I don't have to do it. Um but I want you to understand the spirit. Okay, well, you know, to, to avoid the controversy, let me first read it out of, um, let me first read out of Amplified, which probably still bring controversy. Um, some people like that King James Version, only that version, and I get it. I get it. You love the version. You don't have to defend the version. I, I once told a gentleman I like the Hebrew Greek, and he yelled at me. He got mad at me. But let's read out the Amplified. We'll read out a couple of translations. Let's see if we can really get our teeth around this one. Now about the spiritual gifts, the special endowments of supernatural energy, brethren, I do not want you to be misinformed. You know that when you were heathen, you were led off after idols that could not speak, habitually as, as an impulse directed and whenever the occasion might arise. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking under the power and influence of Holy Spirit of God can ever say, Jesus be accursed. And no one can really say Jesus is my Lord except by and under the power and influence of the Holy Spirit. Now there is a distinctive varieties and distributions of endowments, gifts, extraordinary powers distinguishing certain Christians due to the power of divine grace operating in their souls by the Holy Spirit, and they vary. But the Holy Spirit remains the same. And there are distinctive varieties of service administrations, but it is the same Lord, Jesus, by the way, who is served. And there are distinctive varieties of operation of working of accomplished things, but it is the same God who, in, who inspires and energizes them all. In other words, same Holy Spirit, same Jesus. same. And the reason he's doing this is because the Corinthians are in a polytheism world. They are in a multiple God universe. And this is why in the beginning of Corinthians, they think that well, I'm of Cephas and I'm of um, uh, I'm of uh, Paul, and they have all these divisions, and they're partly making these divisions. Oh, this one has the gift of, they believe like this one has the gift of the word of knowledge. That's a different God than this one over here, who's got the gift of tongues, interpretation of tongues. They believe it's a different God because that's their mindset when they come into the church. And Paul say, no, no, there are different giftings, but it's the same Spirit, same Jesus, same Father. 
Okay, and he's making that distinction for them because they think with each manifestation there must be a different god because they have a sun god, moon god. You know, Zeus has got all these gods. They have all these gods over. You know, they had, remember in Ephesus they have the god of Diana. She's the fertility god. They got all these gods they worship for different things. But in 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 Christianity and Judaism we have one god and he's over all and he doesn't have all these other gods. You know, all this other stuff. He's doing it all. All right, Hallelujah, Amen. Jesus, glory. <laughs> um, uh, but each one is given to manifestation of the, uh, look at, to each one is given the manifestation of the Holy Spirit, the evidence, the spiritual illumination of the Spirit for good and profit. To one is given through the Holy Spirit the power to speak, the message of wisdom, and to another the power to express a word of knowledge and understanding according to the same Holy Spirit. To another, wonder-working faith by the same Holy Spirit. To another, the extraordinary powers of healing by the one Spirit. In other words, what he's saying is, look, all these gifts are given by the Spirit. You have the same Spirit, the same Lord Jesus Christ, and the same Father operating with all of them. Okay? What, what, what's my point there? Well, if we have the Holy Spirit, and we've proven that it's for as many as the Lord calls, then are the gifts... For as many as he calls. Now, they are. Because the Holy Spirit hasn't changed. Remember, God has changed not. The way he started the church, the church hasn't changed. God hasn't come up with a new covenant. So what was available in one aspect of the covenant, we see that available in the covenant given through the apostle, to the apostles. Made, listen, the covenant was made with Jesus and the Father. It wasn't made with the apostles. You know, what, what do you mean it wasn't made? If it was made with the apostles, it's based on the apostles' obedience. If it's made between the Father and the Son, it's based on Jesus' obedience. The law was based on Israel's obedience. But Abraham's covenant was made on God's faithfulness. It was made by faith. Paul explains this. Don't have time to go through this. That's a covenant study. You need to understand that. that he didn't make a covenant with me, per se, it's if I am in Christ, the covenant he made with the Son is for me. Okay? Because I'm in Christ. But I have to put my faith in Christ. I can't bypass Christ into this new covenant. I can't come to God another way because it's only through Christ. Amen? All right. You have to understand that. All right? Because sometimes we get that messed up. We think we have a covenant with God. No, we don't. Jesus does. I need to acknowledge that in my spirit to understand that's important because I go, it's not based on my perfection. It's based on him. And that's why I receive it by faith, and it's called grace. If it was based on me, it's now works. It's now works. Once it's based on me and what I do, it's works. When it's based on Jesus and what he did, it's faith in his completed work. So if the gifts are for today which I hope I've established because the Holy Spirit's for today. If the Holy Spirit's for today, why would the gifts not be for today? So here seems to be the problem in the hang-up that a lot of people have, and that's this. If the, if the Holy Spirit is for today, and the gifts are for today, how do I receive the Holy Spirit? How do I receive the gifts? Receive it by faith. Sometimes God's going to have you go and have someone lay hands on that's filled with the Holy Spirit. Like go find someone who actually believes in the baptism of the Spirit. If you can, a leader, 
um, um, would be better. You know, I mean, I would have someone pray for me. I'd have people pray for me until I got filled, but I'd be hungry for it. I'd read everything. I would meditate on Acts chapter 2. I'd meditate on like Acts 4.24 when they're praying. I would meditate on Acts 8 and they went down and prayed for him. I would meditate on Acts 19 and go, Holy Spirit, I just want you in my life. Father, would you give me Holy Spirit? I'm asking. I would. That would be my prayer. And I would just allow it to permeate through my soul. Now, I'm in a church that believes in the gifts, okay, uh, of the Spirit. I left the Baptist church. I went to that church where Brig went. And, and I believe in this. But you know what they don't believe in? They don't believe in apostles and prophets. And God, then I found out that was, you go, well, I don't believe in apostles and prophets. Why not? You don't think we need divine messengers today and divine message today? Well, we have the word. Word doesn't speak to my daily circumstance all the time. I need a word of wisdom, not wisdom, a word of wisdom to get me out of a situation. I need... Uh, you know, by word of knowledge, I can call out something and bring someone to healing or salvation. Um, prophecy, plans for the future, what God desires for you. I, I need those things today. And by the way, there were prophets. And, and there, by the way, those who sit there and go, there's only the original 12 apostles. Well, is Paul one of the original 12? Because Paul wasn't even the 13th apostle. And then you have the problem with Timothy and Savanius being apostles. By the way, there's also a female apostle in Acts chapter 16. I know I say that, and I'm going to take a lot of freaking heat for that. But go read it. It's one of the arguments of the church. Um, I don't want to get into women being in ministry. I'm going to refer to to Chris Vallotton did a message in 2014. He also wrote a book. Oh, I love having my books behind me so I can actually hold them up for you. Because Chris really needs me. Uh, to promote as much of his books as I can um, because, you know, he needs help selling them. <laughs> uh, I can't find it. It's Fashion to Rain, um, and I suggest that you maybe go get that book um, because uh, I think that the problem for us is we don't understand textually what's going on in context with some of the things. So please go and get that book. Um so now let's let's talk about this. How does sin does sin interfere with the gifts of the spirit? And I'm going to tell you, yes, it does. And I'll explain why. So please, we receive these things, these gifts by faith, not of our own works. the 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 um, The message is not that God can fill an unclean vessel. The message is to follow the gospel to cleanse us. And sometimes we refer to we're looking at the fall of man instead of actually the, the resurrected man. Okay. God's able to cleanse you. What sin does is, number one, it, it is unrighteousness. So you start getting dirty and it messes with your consciousness of faith. It messes, you know, let me, let me, let me ask you this. And I've been married 35 years. I've never kissed another woman. Uh, um, you know, um, I would never, I, I love my wife to death. If I started having an affair, if I started um, having an affair, it's going to affect our relationship, isn't it? It would, you know, I would start acting differently. I mean, I can't, I can't separate it. I can't, um, I, it would definitely affect the way I relate to my wife. If she was having an affair, it would definitely direct to uh, our relationship, wouldn't it? And so the thought that sin will not interfere with your faith or relationship with Jesus Christ is 
not scripturally, it's not psychologically true. Now, you might go, God still loves you. Yes, he loves you. But sin comes and it gets in between you and God in this way that you're now pursuing sin instead of pursuing him. So, you know, you can't serve two masters. So I'm either going to serve God with my whole heart, my whole might, my soul, my being, or I'm going to serve flesh. I'm going to serve sin. And Paul talks about this in Romans 5, 6, 7. So I want you to understand that it's not that God pulls away the gift. He doesn't because the gifts are without repentance. In other words, the gifts come by grace, which means it's not based on your works. The calling and gifting of God is not based on you. God chooses. That's what it means. It doesn't mean there's no repentance involved. Okay, it doesn't mean there's no repentance involved. Okay, it means what God has given you by his grace and choice you never earned it. And because you didn't earn it, you don't lose it. However, it can lie dormant because you're too busy pursuing other things. And it takes you away. Paul says you become a slave to it. Whoever, whoever you serve, you become its slave. I want to be a slave to Christ. I want to be a bondservant for Christ. I can't be a bondservant to slave. I want to I want to have a great marriage. I want to love my wife with a whole heart. I want her, you know, to be the best for her. Well, I can't do that if I have another family. Can't have two families like that. Doesn't work. Men have tried. David even tried. Didn't work. Okay, it's a, it's a real big problem. Okay, so we have to understand that. So it's not that sin takes away the gift because you didn't earn it through righteousness. You didn't earn it through perfection. God gave it to you by grace, by him just showing his favor to you. However, sin comes in and starts messing with my consciousness. So now when, let's say this graphically, I'm sorry if it's a little graphic, let's say I go out and have an affair and I'm having an affair. Well, that's going to affect my intimacy with my wife. Why? Because now when I'm trying to be intimate with my wife, I'm thinking about the other girl. And now it becomes interference and I am not the same guy. I'm confused, I'm, I'm conflicted, I'm torn. Well, if I'm serving sin and I try to move in the spirit, I'm conflicted. I know I'm not right. I know I'm in sin. I, and so now where's my faith? My faith is going to be damaged. Don't damage your faith thinking that it is by grace. But listen, you're not saved. Let me just refute this thing. You are not saved because God loves you. I mean... That's not what saved you. Love was the motivation. But you are not saved by love. That was God's motivation. You're not even saved by grace. Grace is not what you were saved by. Wait a minute. I thought we were saved by grace. No, you are not. Listen to Hebrew, uh, uh, Ephesians. This is where most people don't understand the power of grace. Okay? Well, listen to this. Ephesians 2, you know the verses. Verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. See, it is faith in grace that saved you, not grace alone. You have been saved by faith in grace, not by grace alone. Grace is sitting there. Listen, <laughs> Hebrews 4. Two, for indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard, the 
incorruptible seed, the word of God, that they heard, did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. You are saved by faith in the grace. Listen, you receive the gifts from God by faith. It's grace, but you have to receive them by faith. If you don't believe in them, you're not getting them. Because the opposite of faith is unbelief. Look at the opposite of fear is love. The opposite of faith is unbelief. If you don't have faith in them, why would you expect to get them? Just like, why would you expect to have salvation if you don't believe in Jesus? That's that's silly. Now, one of our problems with the gift of the spirits that we have is, let me let me explain this. When we have, let's say we have 200 people in a meeting, and we know there's 50 that need Jesus. 50. And we preach, and 25 of those get saved. You know what we do? Man, we celebrate the 25. We put it on Instagram. It's awesome. And we're like, man, Jesus, thank you for the harvest. Woo, 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 woo. But you know what the church does when there's 50 that need healing and only 25 get healed? Well, why didn't the 25 get healed? Why did it only, why only half? Why, why would God only heal half the people? We start accusing God. We start accusing healing. We start accusing the ministry. It must not be real. We never have 100% salvations. Why is it that we should have 100% healings? Now, I believe in the 100% healings, but not by accusing God we ain't getting there. In other words, instead of rejoicing of what God does, when it comes to salvation, we can, we'll, we'll count how many get saved. When it comes to healing, critics count how many who didn't get healed. They don't rejoice over the one when Scripture says when one person gets saved and repents, one sinner repents, the angels throw a party. But we don't rejoice over the one person getting healed, do we? That's a critical spirit. That's not Holy Ghost. We have to understand the role of faith in the kingdom. Faith is what makes resources move. Grace and mercy is what made it available. If we're not going to be in faith, don't expect to see miracles. Oh, God might bless you once in a while. And you might be in the room. You know, you might pray a prayer, God, if it be thy will, and God, that person has enough faith. Really, you know, you could be in unbelief and that person be in faith and they get healed. We can see this in the apostles. Even the demons came out at your name, you know, obeyed us. They weren't, they they were shocked by why. I don't know if this is gonna work. My my point being is that we, we have to get back to the role of it's not knowledge. Look, and this is one of the other critics. And I heard this. I have never seen tongues like you see in Acts 2, but there's number one, what do you think happened in Acts 2? It doesn't say they were all speaking in native language. It says they all heard them in their own language. That was a supernatural work. But Paul goes on to explain in 1 Corinthians 14. Let's our 1 Corinthians. Yeah, go to 14. <laughs> See where I want to go. 1 Corinthians 14. I have nothing written down here, so just hang with me. I went right to 2 Corinthians. Hold on. There we go. 1 Corinthians 14. Let's read this. Pursue love. 
and desire spiritual gifts. That word desire there is like a lustful pursuit. It's like you giving everything for it. So it says desire, the spiritual. Gifts are in italics, but especially that you may prophesy. Hmm. He who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him. However, he speaks in the spirit. He speaks mysteries. In other words, tongues aren't for everybody to understand. Okay? It's not meant for everyone to understand. Now, there's sometimes there a person who interprets. That's why Paul says, look, instead of just praying in tongues, prophesy. I'm not going to get into how this all works because I can do both. But um, I sit there and pray in the spirit, hear what God's saying, then I prophesy. But I'm not... I don't know. I can't tell you if I'm interpreting tongues. But sometimes someone could be praying in a tongue and I can listen to what the Spirit's saying and I can tell you what the Spirit's saying. Look, I was ordained prophet. So, um, so I mean, I was trained in the prophetic since 93, 94. So I, I was trained. I was called up. I was raised up and anointed and laid hands on and all that. All right. And I ain't bragging about that. I'm just telling you, it's not like a pastime for me. But he who prophesies speaks edification, exhortation, comfort to men. Who speaks in tongue edifies himself. By the way, should you pray in tongues? You better edify yourself. Tongues have a purpose. They edify us. It keeps us in the love of God, building ourselves up in the most holy faith, praying in the Spirit. But he who prophesies edifies the church. In other words, what Paul's saying, greater is, if you edify the church, you are also going to be edified because you can't water and not be watered himself. The Bible speaks of this. Okay, we have to understand this, that, you know, it says in Proverbs, he who waters, waters himself. A hose, if, let's just say that you're the hose, and God's going to speak through you in prophecy. The hose on the inside gets wet too. So when you prophesy, you're, you're edifying yourself. Now, not in edifying yourself as, look at me, look at me, not fleshy edification, but that's, you know, if you're, you know, that, that you could feel his presence and you can, you're going, oh God, you're so good. And the word is for the church, so it should edify you as well. Okay. And, and Paul speaks of it. Now, why, why, you know, why did tongues seem to fall out of the church? Because faith fell out, just like salvations fell out of the church for the dark ages. Just like people didn't understand we're saved by faith and they were in Catholicism doing all this, you know, voodoo crap for years, you know, in the church, right? You know, um, America was built for on Christianity a lot in the beginning. That's why they came over here. But there was a lot of churches that just didn't have any believers in it. They believed in God. They believed in singing hymns, but they didn't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And that's the truth. It's really amazing to think about. John G. I mean, not, yeah, John G. Lake preached in a whole. No, was, I'm sorry, it was Charles Finney preached in a place. I think it was Charles Finney who preached, and no one in the place was saved. It's him or John G. Lake. No one in the house was saved. That's stunning to me. There's like a hundred people in there. John G. Lake was on a board staff, like he was like part of the whatever they had at the church. He was studying to be a lawyer. He wasn't saved. You know what I'm saying? Like. They had structure with no filling, you know, because we're religious people. And so it just became more natural for them to do that. Look, it's a very long message, and I know it's long. Uh, it's the 100th episode of Weekly Kingdom Outlook. So um, 
I hope you enjoyed this. Look, I know I didn't answer everything. So this is what I'm asking again. Ask the question. Ask the question. Ask it politely. Ask the question. If it gets snarky, I'm not going to see it because they're going to remove it. So ask the question. If you're hungry, please ask. And either I will do maybe a snippet video for you, or I might do a whole weekly Kingdom Outlook for you. I really am here. I really want to uh, help you go as far as you want to in Christ. Let's pray right now, because that was a lot and it's long. Father, you said if we ask for Holy Spirit, you will give them. I've, I, I have seen and witnessed this to be true. For when I asked of you for the Holy Spirit, you gave them to me. And I prayed in tongues and prophesied. And many more things have happened in my life as I learned how to fellowship with your Spirit. I've learned how to abide in your Son, Jesus. I've learned how to believe your Word and put faith in you. And everything in my life I trust to you. I ask that those who are hungry who hear my voice now and watch this video, that you would fill the room and that you would reveal to them your Holy Spirit. If they've never received Holy Spirit that they would receive, I ask that you would fill them just off of this video, as crazy as that might be. And if I could, I would lay my hands on them and impart it to them right now in Jesus' name, that they would receive your Holy Spirit, that they would receive the gifts of the Spirit by faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I love you. I hope you have an amazing week, and I'll talk to you later. Bye-bye.